Okay, good evening, everyone, as we resume our Parsha of the Week class. Although I think we've given it officially another name. Uh, but uh, we're that's not doing Zoom, are we that way? No Zoom. We're not really resuming. Or not. Resuming. Okay. Okay, I'm sure you've used that joke a few times oh, never with many that. of your teachers. Certainly that... not in the last three years. It's appalling. Okay. <laughs> so let us begin in this week's Parsha's Noah. We're going to refer to uh, a very uh, short incident. And um, I never really got the full lesson of this incident until this year. So I want to share with you the ideas. Here, did I give you another sheet? Oh, you have one. It's on your, it's on your lap. I didn't see it. Okay. After the flood, there's a short incident about Noah and his three sons. So let's take a look in the text. It says, And Noah, uh, the man of the field, can have many meanings over here, um, but you could say he began... Vayita Carmen, he planted a vineyard. Okay. Then, Vayesh Minayayin, he drank from the wine of the vineyard. Vayishkar, he became drunk. Vayiskal Besochalo, and he uncovered himself within his tent. Okay, he was really hungover. Yeah, his, oh. I mean, he was, he was, his body was uh, uh, uncovered. Okay, we're going to go with the simple shot over here. Okay, so what's going on next? Vayar Chom Avi Kenan Esarvas Aviv. Chom, who had become the father, who was the father of Kenan, saw the uncovered body of his father. Vayagid Lishne Echov Bachutz, and he told that to his two brothers who were outside. How Chom saw? We could simply say he just went in. And so, Dad, oh, oh, sorry, oh, oh. And then went out and told his brothers about it. Just going with this simple shot. So what happens? So Shame and Yafes took a, a cloth or a garment. They put it on their backs. And they walked backwards. And they covered up the uncovered part of their father. Ufneam acharanis, and their faces were backwards the other way to not see their father. and they did not see the uncoveredness of his father. So let's let's dissect exactly what Shem and Yefes did over here. There's three clauses. they walked backwards. Okay, it's clear, we're walking backwards. And by walking backwards, they covered up the uncoveredness of their father. And their faces were backwards. Second clause. And they did not see the uncoveredness of the father. So, any questions on the text on these three clauses? Uh, Sir, I, I, was, I was thinking there could be two things. I was going to make suggestions why they walked backwards. Are we at that point yet for me to make a comment on that or a question? Uh, well, you could if you want. Why, why did they walk backwards? Well, it's, I, I could think of two things. A, to give their father more of a pride that uh, they wanted to ignore the fact that he was drunk. So they basically did it. Um, they did it out of pride. Say, okay, we'll give our father pride. We'll Dignity. Just, Dignity, and the other thing is they could have been shamed by his behavior that he was drunk, and they didn't want to look look at his look at him directly. So I'm thinking there could be two. Okay, ways. that's the why. But I just don't understand the stage directions. What? I don't understand the stage directions completely. So they they, they walk in backwards, facing away from him. Facing away. Their faces are backwards. Toward the entrance of the tent. And they did not see the uncoveredness of their father. They know which, where they were going. You have to sort of peek a little bit for where the wound is. You know. Okay, so 
how are you able to put the clothes on him if you don't look right. at all? Because you just throw it over your shoulder and look for the best. Well, that, yeah, so that, so, so Rashi notices this. Let's look in the second source. Rashi says, it says, macharonis, and their faces were backwards. So Rashi says, why is it mentioned a second time? If they're already turned backwards, right, it says they went backwards, why do you have to say the face was backwards? That's the question that's bothering Rashi. So he says, so he says, when they got close to him, the hills they had obviously turned their bodies to turn your hands. How do you put a garment without turning your hands? Because as said, they can't just throw it and guess. So they have to turn. But what do we also know? Still they still turned their head the other way. To still not In other words, gaze. even though the body, let's say he was here, right? So they're going backwards. So now they're going to have to turn their body there, but they still kept their faces away. So that way they could accurately put the thing on their father. Yeah, but they seeing where they still, Right. Well, you can feel, you can bump it, you can, right? If yeah. you're turning, because how do you even cover them if you don't turn your body? Wait. If you're like this... Okay, with your back but, to but him. That doesn't say what it says. It says here that the blanket was on their backs. They carried uh, the blanket back. Yes, to but him. they still have to drop uh, it down right. accurately. So how can they do that? Well, I got to. They've got to be able to turn their body a little bit, right. so that they can put it on him. But they still kept their heads turned. No, him was hey. outside the tent. Yeah. They didn't mention him here. Is He's not involved in this. Well, maybe he was outside the tent of the tent opening, giving him directions. Say, okay, lay, walk, walk three steps backwards and drop the cloth or something like that. He wasn't being helpful. Well, that's an interesting suggestion. Because we don't like him, right? So, <laughs> to help him do But this. Uh, obviously, he was not very helpful because afterwards we're going to see that Noah curses Ham. Noah curses Ham. And according to the Midrash, it just wasn't that the father was uncovered, but that Ham castrated his father. Right. Oh. When he saw that his father was drunk and in a compromised position, he castrated him. Why did he castrate him? He said, right now the world's going to be divided into three. Lest my father have more children, that the inheritance will get smaller. You follow? So... Certainly the fact that Ham gets cursed for everything, I can't imagine he did anything helpful over okay. here. Okay. Is that, is that why song is in red? That third, second bullet? Yeah, well, you'll see a little bit later why I put it in red. So there's still a question. Even Rashi addresses the second clause, but he doesn't address the third clause, which means if I already say they're walking backwards... And I'm also saying, as Rashi explains, and as they turned their bodies, they still had their faces away from him. The question is, why do I need these four words, they did not see their father's nakedness. That so, is for right, sure so obvious. That, what? Even more, so they did not see their father's nakedness. So no, but you don't have to say it. You don't have, if you already have the first two clauses, right. that they walk backwards, and even when their bodies had to turn to cover him, they still had their faces on the other side. Wouldn't it be obvious they did not see their father? It's also what their intent was, so they did not. I understand, but it, it's, it's saying a new point. Right. But that point isn't saying anything we don't know yet. If I would stop the verse after the word Acharanis, and I would ask you, did they see their father? You'd say no. So why does he have to tell me they didn't see their father? That's the question that we've listed over here. And so what, what do we need? What does it add? One could argue, I suppose, that when they turned their bodies to put the blanket down, they could have momentarily seen him. No, but it says, way Rashi's explaining, their faces are backwards. Even when they turned their body around, they still kept their faces away. That's what the second clause so is. Wasn't, it wasn't a reaction to what they saw that they quickly turned their face, but they never had an opportunity to see I understand, but we know that already from the first two clauses. Okay, I'm just hoping that maybe that last verse clarifies. 
expanded upon that. It, it, it's, really, no. it's really not because Rashi's already taken care of that issue with the second clause. Okay. Yeah. Rashi's clearly saying they walk backwards and even when their bodies had to turn to put the garment on, they still had their faces turned away. So it's obviously they did not look at him. So there must be something more to that. It's going to be double meaning for nakedness or to be for okay, or, or or with seeing. Yeah. And the second question is: so there has to be an eternal lesson from here in here. What is the eternal lesson that we're to learn? Now, there's a lot you could say. But there's got to be an eternal lesson in those four words as well. Okay. So what eternal lesson will we learn from this? The simple level is the Chams are rotten creep. And same with Chavos, Yavos were not. It's a sneer. It's just Okay, you could say that. Um, also, the, the, the Talmud tells us what was the reward that shame had. Now, if you look carefully, it says... Um, Shame shame and yefes. So by mentioning shame first, it seems he exerted himself a little more in the mitzvah. He is rewarded. We are descendants of shame. And the reward for this was what? The mitzvah of tzitzis. So you have to understand why the mitzvah of tzitzis. There's a lot of other nice mitzvahs. Um, you could say, listen, let's keep it up aim. He should be rewarded with long life. It's the 613 mitzvahs though. Is it's, 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 yeah, so we got them. So, so, he, so the question is, people came from. what is that connection? We could say we got them as to keep it up, eh? Well, then, it was a clue we got them all. I understand. So what's unique about tzitzis here? That's what we're going to do. We look at we see them. In the morning, you have to see them. The okay. So I also said don't look, don't look after what your eyes are seeing. Don't, don't look at things. Okay, so that's good. That's very good uh, first um, layer of understanding. In other words, they didn't turn to look for something they felt not to. And the myth of Sisyphus is you should not turn, let your eyes turn. Don't go after your eyes that turn. But we'd have to see exactly, that's good, but now I've taken a little deeper. But what does that mean? Well, is there a difference? Did their hearts want them to turn to see their father? Was something for their hearts? Like normally, don't go after what your eyes and hearts see. It's like seeing something really bad to do Navera. So I don't know if it would have been, if they would have gone straight, would have been such a major Avera to see their father like that. You know, you're trying to cover him up. Okay, there's super sensitivity here. So we have to see... So it's a mitzvah to look at the tzitzis, right? It's a mitzvah to look at the tzitzis. And it's supposed to remind you of Hashem. The, like yeah, but it also the mitzvah has you not go after your eyes. Ah, I see. So that's what Kathy said. I they didn't go after their eyes. Excellent. But the question is... Was that so important they didn't go after their eyes? Maybe you could have said, well, listen, they have to know where their father is. So we have to go a little deeper. We're on the right track. We have to go a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on over here. So to do this, um, we're going to we're going to go to a, an area that will appear to have nothing to do with this, but it has plenty to do with this. Mm -hmm. And it's a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov that's brought in Source 3 and 4 in the Sefer Todos Yaakov Yosef from his student, Yaakov Yosef of Panah. And also from uh, the Ma'or Enayim, uh, the Chernobyl Rebbe. And they say the same idea. Okay? And source three, I'm sorry, I'm in English here. He teaches in a Mishnah, a Zel Chacham, who is a wise man, made me call out him, who learns, learns from all people. So he says an incredible shot in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. It's in the red. If you see your friend is doing something forbidden, you probably have a little bit of that yourself. Like looking in a mirror. In other words, we'll see in a minute what this is going at, but says the Al Shem Tov, if you see someone doing something wrong, it's a sign that you're doing the same thing. Yeah, Shem brings that situation. Oh, yeah. So that's hello made me call it up. You learn from everybody. Even from a person who's done a sin, you're going to learn that you have the same, maybe not exactly the same sin, but a similarity. And that's going to teach you that idea. Okay? And, uh, and he proves other things as well. 
And the Maranaim says the same thing in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, in the pink. Shahat Sadik HaGomer, the complete Sadik, Shein Rabi Kirbo, who has no evil inside of him, Ein Shumra Al Shumaram, doesn't see anything bad about any people. But when someone sees something bad about his friend, it's like he's looking in a mirror. And therefore, when you look in a mirror, even part of if your face is dirty, what are you going to see in the mirror? A dirty face. When you're looking at somebody, you look at the evil that the person has done, it's just a mirror of what you have. And if your face is clean, then the mirror will be a clean face. Okay? And then he learns the word, the Pasuk, love your neighbor like yourself. What does that mean? That if the person knows, when somebody knows something evil inside of him, you don't, you don't hate yourself, even though you hate the evil inside. So too with your friend should be the same thing because your friend has a portion of God on high as well. Okay, but the main idea I want to bring out from all this is Baal Shem Tov says that if you see someone who's done something evil, right? If a person's done an Avera, that means you have it too. So it brings us to the obvious question and what's the obvious question? Why seeing evil in another person is mirroring your evil? You know, why do we have to say that? Why is it not possible this evil be apparent only in one's colleague and not exist within oneself at all? And as what's the nature of the Baal Shem Tov's, It's a big statement to say. Maybe you watching someone killing someone. Does that mean you killed somebody? Does it have to mean that? Why is it possible that you're just seeing the other, the other person? So the, so the answer to that, the Baal Shem Tov is telling us, that everything that happens is mean Shemai. Nothing happens by accident. Every event that happens doesn't happen by chance. And therefore, it's not just a chance that somebody did a big Avera and you're there seeing that Avera. So there obviously is a reason. It's not if you said the world is random. Okay, this guy happened to have sin. I haven't walked by. What's my business? But if if God coordinates every event that we have in life, and you had a dafka be there at the time when he who says that out of me? Remember, Hasidus we really play a lot the role of the unity of God. God puts you in every situation for a reason, even if you weren't meant to do anything. The fact that you see that a person did a despicable act, why did God, you could have not seen that despicable act. You know, you could have been delayed. You, you see this all the time today. Like, I don't know how many times I forgot to pick this up. I forgot to get this. And I was just delayed and delayed and delayed. And therefore, I'm driving down the street five minutes later. You know, God is obviously doing these things. So why did God have to me to see this even if it's, not, and I'm not able to do anything about it, let's say, okay. must be there's a lesson for it. Is that kind of what we say about seeing the wo a soto woman? That then that's the same with the soto. Same thing exactly. That means there's something inside that's you. That's why he becomes an So, so this is now. If you weren't learned, if you don't come from a Hasidic perspective, and you don't really focus on the unity of God in every single thing in this world, you could say, well, it's just a coincidence. You know, if Hashem does something to me, maybe it's not a good, does something to me, but how about if I see something? Well, Hashem is doing something to you. Like, let's not, you know, God forbid Hashem makes you sick, you say, well, Hashem wanted me to be sick. Okay, you get that. But he said, what? Hashem wanted me to see something? What does that, have to, what does it do with me? The answer is, it has to. Well, wait, it's kindness. It has, it has to do with you. Right, so why, how does it have to do with me? Well, it must do with you because... You must have something in common with that. So now the question, the next question becomes, so why does God have to do it so indirectly? It's why a kindness. Do, uh, you have because to know. rather than having it happen to you, he gives you an opportunity to fix it before he makes it happen. No, but no, not happen. It is something that's within you. No, you, you can no, fix it. no, no, but no, no. 
You 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 are seeing a person is a balosh and hara. That means you already are a balosh. I know, but you can do tshuva before. So, but Hashem can tell you directly, and you can do tshuva. We're not saying punishing you. Just tell you directly. Have somebody walk over to you and say, you know, I notice you speak a lot of Lashon, you better stop it. In other words, one's got to have to go in a circuitous route. We're not, I understand where you're going. You want to say, because that way you don't get punished. Forget about getting punished. You got you to gotta know you're doing something wrong. So what, how do you know you're doing something wrong? Because I see what somebody else is doing. Why does it have to be that? Why can't it be direct? Let's say your friend comes up and says, you know, listen, I see you, but big, big ball Lashon heart. Why does God do that? The answer is because we have a principle in the Talmud that love covers all flaws. Especially when it applies to self-love. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I put this uh, by you. Yes, in Source 5, we talk about leprosy. It says all Nagoim. Nagoim are those colors of potential leprosy. So all Nagoim may be examined by a person. They, a person can decide on anybody. If you're a Kohen, you could check everybody except one person. Yourself. Why? Why? Because how can we ever see the bad in ourselves? You know, if a person goes over to you and says to you, you know, I want you to know you're talking a little bit too much more. What's going to be your first reaction? First reaction, not second, third, fourth, fifth. First, Why immediate. Look who's First reaction is, I'm not guilty. Right. No matter how you're going to say it, bottom line, first reaction, I don't want to hear it, I'm not guilty. So now you may say a number of things to accomplish that goal. Who are you to talk? Oh, so that means I'm not denied, but I'm not guilty because I'm as guilty as you. It's not so bad. So therefore, Hashem does it in a way that you have to come around to it. You don't feel attacked when you're seeing it by somebody else and say, maybe it's me too. As opposed to someone doing it directly to you. Because the natural instinct is we don't want to accept someone else telling me that I am bad. So what's, now, it just doesn't work. Because I can tell you as a rabbi giving uh, uh, admonishments from the pulpit, you don't see a lot of changes. Well, when the rabbi tells a story and people can see themselves in it. Oh, it's a story and I don't shove it down their throats. Yeah. Maybe they will see it. Mm -hmm. So now you're seeing this happen. So, okay. So I'm seeing it happen. Maybe it's me too. Okay. So that's a very important idea. And that's what the Baal Shem Tov says. And that's, that's how he learns it. Kol HaNagoyim. All blemishes, so to speak. Right? That a person sees, he says on the word chutz, except means you look chutz outwardly. Anything I see out of me, it's minigayatsmo. It's from my own blemish. In other words, how am I able to see that blemish? You know why? Because I have that blemish. In other words, a simple reading is all blemishes, a person, a person can check all blemishes except his own. But now he's saying, a person, all blemishes that a person sees outside of himself are from the fact, the fact you can see it is because you have it. Mm -hmm. You have it. Rabbi, I'm, I'm still and there Hashem wants you to get the message and he's trying to do it in a nice soft way. In other words, when you see somebody is doing an Avera, it's just all orchestrated by Hashem for you to see it. So how, why? So that you can now, add, you're not threatened by what's happening because your self-esteem is not at risk because it's not enough. You know, when, when, if I go over to you and I say, you know, you're really doing yourself here. You know, the first problem is you, it, you, you're not going to be my friend anymore. And you're not accepted. And you're going to not even look at me anymore. You're going to, oh, Ramachal thinks I'm a Baalash and Har. Or maybe he knows I am a Baalash and Har. I'm, I don't want to hang around with it's just a, it's a See, natural reaction. Right. I know when people criticize until I got older, but I never would accept criticism. I said, what are you talking about? You don't understand. <laughs> but as you get older and you get used to, and once you say, I'm, I'm, I'm right, you know, I'm wrong, you're right, and you do it a few times, it becomes much easier to do it. Right. So, so that is what we have. The, the, 
critical statement about Shem Tov, if you see a person's evil activities that he is doing, you have to say that you have akin to that. And why is that? Because why is Hashem having you see it? Must be because you have to learn from that. Must be you have it. And that's why you saw it. And that was, it's a much gentler way of rebuking you than having the prophet come over to you and tell you you're a shmo. <laughs> that's the simple understanding of the Baal Shem Tov. Oh, you want to ask questions? Go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm trying to relate this to our own little family situation. We're trying to do a, a big reduction in Lush and Hora. And if one person, and it's and everybody's to blame, um, and if somebody says Lush and Hora, somebody else, you know, another person might say, careful. You know, it might, you know, you know, uh, yeah. Okay. Is that bad? I mean, am I doing something bad? Like, I mean, okay. So you're now leading into the next question. Okay. You're leading into the next question. Okay. Well, I still have a question about this. I'm still not 100% just because I see something. And yes, Hashem has put that in front of me. But where do you get the equivalent of, therefore, I have it instead of, you know, I'm seeing this because obviously I have a weakness and I am prone to doing it. Maybe I. So your prone to doing means you do it. Not, not necessarily. If you never you did it, if you never it. did it, how would you know you're prone to it? Because you recognized it. If, you, if you've, you've never it. done it, hard to say you're prone. You're prone to getting angry at the flick of a switch. But if you've never gotten angry at the flick of a switch, how would you know you're prone? You can tell because I know I'm prone like to anger because I have gotten angry. But you can you feel your blood pressure rise. You can feel no, no. I want to yell. I want to yell, but I'm not yelling. But I can feel it. It's starting. You have the propensity towards it. I, yeah, I don't and, grasp and, how and it, it says But once the gone. propensity is in, you're already getting angry. You're probably hating your brother in your heart, mm-hmm. and all a bunch of other errors, right? But let's focus more on Jay's direction over here, which is really a much bigger question than yours. And we have to understand, a, a, a Jew's mission in life is not only to elevate himself, but also your colleagues. And there is a mitzvah, you have a mitzvah to rebuke your fellow Jew. In a way that will be heard. I understand, but you have a mitzvah to rebuke yeah. him. Now, how could that mitzvah operate if you tell me the only way I can do that mitzvah is if I'm a sinner? No, but you can. In other words, which I understand that Hashem made me see him. But can it be that Hashem made me see him so that I'll be the one to rebuke him? I mean, isn't that equally as possible? That I will be the one to rebuke him? Yeah. Hashem sent me because I'm the only one who can rebuke him. Doesn't matter. Forget about how. We're not in, into that right now. Okay. But we're saying. Didn't prophets rebuke people? Do you think the prophets had those th- those bad characteristics? Do you think do you think uh, Yeshaya said, you know, you're sinners, you're this, you're this. Do you think he had that at all? Can't be. Can't be. And yet he's rebuking us. So maybe the reason Hashem has this, right, is, you know, just to say, you know, that the purpose of the other guy to sin is to make me know my mistake. Is that the only option that's there? You, 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 I, it, it makes sense what the Baal Shem Tov says, but why, but why can't we say there's maybe two options? But he's pretty sure. He's saying, no, if you see the guy's doing a sin, yes, God's kindness, he's showing you that you're the sinner too. I understand that, but why can't it also be said just as spiritually... That no, it's I, I. I saw it Davka because I'm the one who can take care of this. Oh, I see. Even though I haven't sinned, let's say I'm a good friend of his, and he'll listen to me more. Mm-hmm. In other words, why can't the Balshemto said it's it can be one of two things, right? But he doesn't say that. He says it's one. Okay, so this becomes the real issue. This is the deeper question on the fundamental teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. You, you hear the question. In other words, how am I supposed to react? I see a someone doing an Avera. 
The Baal Shem Tov say, well, it's because you got the same Avera, man. That the famous story of the Baal Shem Tov is in Mejibus, where Chil Shabbos was not common. He one time saw someone was Machal Shabbos. The coach. He saw was Machal Shabbos. He said, that, that can't be. I must have done something like Chil Shabbos. Has to be. And then he thought and thought and thought, and he remembered <laughs> once he heard someone criticizing a tzaddik, and for whatever reason, he didn't stick up for the tzaddik. Yeah. And we know a tzaddik is equal to Shabbos. Ooh. So that's how the Baal Shem Tov, by not sticking up for him, was like he was Machal Shabbos on his level. And now Hashem showed it to me to know that I did this wrong. Whoa. So you see the Baal Shem Tov practiced what he preached. But on the other hand, the Baal Shem Tov gave a lot of rebuke in a very refined way, a lot of rebuke to his students. And you know he didn't have all these others. When he had the time, he pointed it out. So this, so the question is, it's very profound what he's saying. We're not arguing on that. Definitely being a possibility. But he gives us a certainty with that. And that's the real question. In other words, the bottom line is this. How do you know when I'm seeing a fault of someone else that it's my fault as opposed to my opportunity to give rebuke? Can it be both, though, Rabbi? Because but, but, when you give rebuke, you're maybe not, yourself. But not necessarily. Maybe I didn't do anything wrong at all. A, a real, the Navi, again, the Navi, whenever the Navi spoke, he wasn't rebuking himself. Right, but he was sent. I understand. So now Hashem sends us all. But you don't know that. Ah, so the question is, how could we know? That's what I want to teach tonight. That's what I want to teach tonight. That's the whole point. And that's very valuable. Because now that I got you a little bit more Hasidically inclined, <laughs> and now you, when, when interchanges, exchanges happen or you know coincidences happen, you don't look at that. Then you try and wonder, what should I do? So now we want to teach us how can we determine what is the right thing to do and what is Hashem trying to tell us. This is a very deep Indian over here. So, I think you ran out of the No, oh no, it's one more. No. Gemara in Psachim. That's the last source over there. Uh, Gemara says, a person should never express anything in a crude matter. Manner? Manner, manner, manner. Oh. Sorry, crude ma manner. Oh, it should be, okay, whatever. Whatever, whatever. Uh, because the Torah added eight letters, and the, the Torah is very precise. It added eight letters to speak in a nicer way. And I didn't give, uh, but and it says, it says in this week's parsha when Hashem tells Autumn to take the animals, it says, it's right there, it's right at the end of the source six. Take Mina Behemah Tahora, take from the pure animals, and take from what's the other kind of animals are described? What's in the text there? Number six? Animals that are not pure. Animals that are not pure. Well, be a shorter way of describing it. Impure. Why does it, it says, take from the animals that are pure and from the animals that are, it should, instead of saying a share, a nanotahor, it just say a share, tummy. Why don't you say tummy? It's a stronger. The answer is, that's not, it's, 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 it's a rougher type of language. Where tummy is a rougher type of language. So you see, we say, you know, in other words, you're going to say, man, you talk like such a boor. No, you say, you know, you're not as sophisticated as you could be. Isn't that a nicer way of saying that? You say, oh, what a boorish comment. Or, I guess it's not so sophisticated what you were saying. One is a lot more gentler. I used to say it that way. You know, you know so, very, so then the Gomorrah goes to a whole discussion where they start asking questions from this and that to try to prove that uh, really we need uh, about two and a half hours of this class properly. But uh, I'm just going to get to the main issue over here. Gamora asks a lot of questions on that principle we see from here, not like that, not like that. The real problem with the whole Gamora and the whole statements are, understand, how many times in the Torah do you have the word Tomei? 
Hundreds! Hundreds! So you find it hundreds of times. So if it's hundreds of times, so, so from here we're going to learn from this one pasuk that says, and that they're not pure. We learn to speak clearly, uh, cleanly, whatever, delicately. What about the other hundred of times? So Rashi gives a very technically proper answer. He says, well, we show you once, and we don't have to keep showing you a million times. Does Tommy ever mention before this? Uh, no. Okay, so that fits. So we did it once, but it's going to be very arduous to keep saying Enenetahar, which is a very nice answer. But the Me'iri and other greats give a whole different answer, which begins to move in a totally different direction. And they say like this. It depends on... Well, before we get to that, let's give um, two stories. Give two stories. Okay, we'll give two stories. Let's say you have two workers in a business. And they find a third worker. They're aware they catch him in a blatant lie or they see he's cheating the company. Two guys are working in a company, good guys were in company, and they find out through accident, whatever, the third guy, he's robbing the boss blind, he's making himself like the biggest sonic in the world. So you could have two different responses. One is, the guy says, you know, this guy, Sam, he's a miserable liar, a lowly piece of dirt, an obnoxious creep. I used to think Sam was a decent fellow, now I know the truth, he's the scum of the earth. And for the next few days, this fellow is obsessed with the thought of how a low-life Sam really is. He may keep it to himself. May not even verbalize it to anyone else. But his heart is deeply infatuated with hate, vengeance, uh, evil descriptions. That's one way people will respond. Mm -hmm. The other guy could say, well, what Sam did was really not good. It was wrong. It was unfair. It upsets me strongly. Now what should I do about it? Should I confront him directly and speak to him about it? What would be the best way about going about this? Should I instead avoid confrontation but use a more cautious approach with dealing with him? Is it my responsibility to warn other people about the risks of dealing with him? Now, both guys saw the same thing. None of them was naive to what transpired. But one guy is consumed with how terrible Sam is, while the other guy focuses on Sam's behavior. And how does his behavior affect his? Okay, why is there a difference in these two people? Let's give another example. Let's say you have... You have two husbands, and they love having guests over for Shabbos, like 20, 25 guests, because they mamas love to have Shabbos, a lot of people. They're social animals. They enjoy schmoozing. Uh, both of their wives, however, loathe having guests in their home. Okay? And um, they, uh, they say, it, it, it's stressful for me. My husband doesn't understand. They both don't really want to have guests. And, uh, and they told them that they didn't like it. You know, they're saying, you know, that's pressure. I might not do such a good job. People might see me as a failure. Maybe they're too self-conscious to have guests. Whatever it is, let's say both wives told both husbands similar right. reasons. Now the two husbands schmooze with each other, you know. Does your wife give you trouble like mine? Oh, yeah. So now the two husbands are going to react how the wives react. One says, why is my wife such an insecure person? Why can't she ever get her life together? She, she is all messed up. She really needs therapy. Uh, couldn't I have married a more stable, easygoing woman? Why do I have to live with such an insecure kvetch who's always frightened what a few stupid guests are going to say? Right? Or you could say, you know, my wife's struggle is very painful. And truthfully, it makes life 
harder. Now, what can I do to help her and to help myself? Perhaps I can help her get to the bottom of her fears. Maybe I can get somebody to speak, her, to speak to her. Maybe I should compliment her more often after her achievements. Maybe I need to hire extra help. Maybe she's just extra irritable now because she lost her job. Maybe things are going to get better. Again, the two husbands are seeing the identical flaw. One's obsessed with the wife's weakness, the shortcomings and failures, while the other one, and, he, and he's very focused on how her issues affect him, while the other one says, uh, well, he's, he's more analyzing the situation and what, and what should be done. So what's going on over here? Which husband is seeing things better? Why is it that when your wife is act that way, you got all these criticisms about her? Why? And why does the other husband not have all those criticisms? The first one's just looking at how it affects him. And the other's Whoa. looking at his wife's well-being. Okay, so now how does it affect him? So why does it affect him so negatively? Because he wants to have guests and she's not... And why is it such a problem if he doesn't have the guests? Now we have to go to a deeper thing. What's bugging him so much about not having guests? Why do you have to have so many guests? There's a lot of people who don't have to have guests. He wants to show up. Ah, or maybe he has his own insecurities that he's trying to overcome by showing that I have a lot of people. Maybe when he's ever alone with his wife at Shabbos, it's miserable because he does not have any conversations with he has a big party. We're busy with busy with the guests, busy serving food. I, I don't have time to be alone with my wife because really we're a miserable pair because I have so poor communication skills. So I just make every Shabbos very busy and we avoid the whole issue. And now it's really bothering me why she doesn't want this because my problem is, is exacerbated when we don't have guests. While the other husband is just saying, so what is it we should do to solve the problem? To look at it objectively as opposed to being subjectively. Why is it that one worker is so upset that the other guy's a cheat? And he obsesses over that the guy's a cheat. Maybe he's jealous that the other guy got ahead of him. Yeah. And he isn't getting ahead. Yeah, he'd love to. You hear, you hear what's going on. So now the issue is you can both look at the same thing exactly but you could see them totally different. Now, how does this apply to our answer to the question? It says thousands of times the word tummy and the boar has no trouble. Doesn't ask any question, doesn't learn anything from it. The one time it says not tummy, uh, uh, not boar, so, oh, you should speak properly. So it must be there's some times where you should say tummy. And sometimes when you shouldn't, what's the difference? So the answer they give, it depends what the subject is. If the subject is a halachic decision, this animal is tummy. So you got to use the least clearest wording possible. This animal, you shall not eat a bird because the bird is tummy. Even the words a bit offensive, but halacha has to be decisive and unambiguous. We don't say it's not tor. Oh, so what is it? It's, a it's not tor, but is it really tamay? What? Straight tamay! And therefore we use tamay hundreds of times. However, when we deal with Torah stories, where the focus isn't so much on the halacha, but what's happening in the story, that we want to use more refined wording in that. Why? Well, let's take the example of the animals that would go into the ark or the app. So when you're talking about impure, why is an animal impure? Or as you recall, the generation of the flood, there certain animals were considered that they were destructive as well. Why? Why were they destructive? because they copied what mankind did. So when I say that the animal's behavior causes it to be not pure instead of tummy. 
In which when I'm analyzing behavior, you want to use the cleaner way of looking at it. When you're analyzing halacha, you want to get straight to the point. Why? Because halacha has no emotion attached to it. It has no subjectivity attached to it. It's a reality, and it doesn't matter to me. Just tell me, is it kosher or not, Rabbi? But if you're telling over a story about someone or a behavior about someone, now we're analyzing the person, not the halacha. You follow? So for the person, and sometimes it could be an animal, but why is the animal tummy? Because or why are certain people tummy? Because of certain behavior that they have, which is not proper. So we'll say they're they're t- not tar. That is different when we're talking about a halachic ruling versus uh, a story, because a story is a narrative. Halacha, you can't spin halacha. Black halacha is in many ways in the Torah at least black and white. Now in contemporary halacha, you have to know how to make compromises yeah. and that. But in the Torah, it's clear. This you can do, this you can't do, this is Tomei. Yep. You, you contracted a Tomei. You're Tomei. There's nothing that, it's, so you, black and white can be about the person too. It, but but if it's not about the person, it's about the halacha. But if in the pre, but if the halacha is referencing the, the person, and it's more of the, now we're getting to know more about the person's behavior, then we want to use a cleaner language. When we're when we're oh, if you ask, can I trust that person's kashrut? Oh, it's so, kind of black and white, but it's about the person. So you shouldn't say, well, that that person is is, is always serves trafe. Then you, you, have say, to say, you say he doesn't always serve kosher. Okay. Mm-hmm. Can I eat in his house? You're not. If it's no, you're not going to say no. You'll say, you know what? There's better places to eat. Right. Even though that's a halacha. Right, that's what I was asking. But if I, you tell me, is the bird kosher or treif? I don't say, well, there's better things to eat. Right. Be nice In other words, I say better things the to eat. Feeling. I didn't say it's actually treif. A person can maybe make a mistake. Yeah. But when I tell the person there's better homes to eat at, so what am I, I'm avoiding defining the person because the person, it's a story about the person. And they should be listening to the same It's not just a halacha, it's a story about the person. Right. And we're saying the story about the person, then you got to be careful. So, so what happens is there's two ways of seeing negativity, two ways of seeing it. And that's what the Baal Shem Tov is really saying uh, when he says that looking at your fellow human being is like looking in the mirror. Now let's go back exactly what he says, and you'll see what he means. If your own face, he says, if your own face is clean, the image you perceive will also be flawless. That's what the exact words he said. But should you look at another Jew and, and uh, be, uh, another Jew and see a blemish under that circumstance, then it's your own imperfection you're encountering. And you're being shown the same thing. Why? Because if you observe a blemish in another human being and you find out you're caught up in that person's problems, rather than in your proper response to them, you may be struggling with a similar blemish. You see the difference? When, when you are defining the person, you could, are, you, are you subjectively analyzing the person? Or are you objectively analyzing? Are you, obje- are you analyzing the behavior or are you analyzing the person? So, so if you say, that guy's a creep, that guy's a lowlife, I'd never consider doing something like that. He is so disgusting, he is so rotten. Why do you got to talk like that? What's compelling you to talk that way? So Khan would have said... One said, hold on, we'll, we'll get to the answer. Let's just get this idea clear. You, you ready? But that's good. You, you, you have the idea. But you see, why do I have to analyze the guy? Personal politics. Why, why, why do I have to say he's a lowlife, he's a scumbag, I would never do such a thing? Why? It's because for some reason, you need to say that about him. Mm-hmm. Now you got to analyze, why do I need to say that about him? 
but you're saying it's not about maybe I wish I could be the scumbag too I'm, I'm, I'm either you're jealous of the money yes you got to have a problem why would you speak so negatively about the person because when you come across such a situation what it so 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 when you when when you when you see a negative quality or negative behavior right? And if you are defining yourself by that, that's a problem. But if you're looking at it from a, we'll say, a cold, dispassionate, halachic perspective, and say, okay, what does Hashem want me to do in this situation? I have nothing to say about his behavior. It's not important if he's a creep. It's not important I would never, you know, it shouldn't anger you. It should disappoint you. That's a different wording altogether. You can be saddened that another Jew is doing that. But you will know yourself if you are if you're seeing the person as as the one with the blemish versus seeing the blemished activity. And this becomes a very important tool for us to have self. Um, introspection when we see that things are not going properly. Okay? So, for example, it says, <laughs> You shall surely rebuke your fellow Jew. Why the double expression? <laughs> Just say, <laughs> Why the double expression? So the answer is, right, as you said, before you admonish your fellow Jew, you have to first admonish yourself. What does that really mean? Because hocheach really means to, to prove. That's what it really means. So what I'm supposed, I'm supposed to prove to the other guy that his behavior isn't good. I have to show him. Yeah, but first you have to show yourself. Make sure you're not rebuking him because you suffer from the similar flaw. If you're rebuking them as a way of repressing or deflecting your own shortcomings, the rebuke will be counterproductive because they will see that you're not trying to help them. You're trying to protect yourself. So only after you reproach yourself and deal with your similar flaws, then you can proceed to speak to the fellow human being. So if you're just looking at it clinically, this person did a certain thing. Okay, and, and, and really, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want to tell him. I'd rather not tell him. It's, it's going to be a very difficult conversation, and I, I, don't, I don't enjoy this conversation. But what does Hashem want me to do? So I'll call up a rabbi, and I'll see what the rabbi says. If the rabbi says I should tell him, I'll tell him. If the rabbi says, no, you shouldn't. Okay, but if you, but if you say, oh, now, now I got kishmak, I can really... He's the one always telling everybody how right he's rebuking. Now, oh, now I have it, man. Oh, I know him have it. He's got it coming to him. A real liberal caught in his own lies and deceits. <laughs> okay, so why are you doing that? Oh, it's Kishmak. Why do you have why do you feel so good about it? What problems do you have? Why are you not confident about yourself? This is all regarding speech. Remember, we started off by saying, better to say a different way. That was all speech. Yeah. So you don't say, oh, he's a scumbag. He said, they said, you know, his behavior does not reflect the Jewish way of doing things. He ain't a tzaddik. That shows you don't have yourself invested in that. So now you can understand. That, this is the pshat. It's like, just like when a person is dirty, then what he sees is dirty in the but what if you're not dirty? You're not looking in the mirror then. Because you're looking from halacha. Halacha, you can go right to the cut to the chase. Because there's no emotion involved in cold halacha calculations. But when I'm defining the person, defining the person that already, I why do I have to what why am I defining the person? Don't you know that every Jew is a chalak elokami mal? Don't we know that you're not allowed to hate a Jew? You're only allowed to hate his actions. So why do I hate the Jew? Because it makes me feel better. Because I got the same problem. Do I have the same problem? I think my wife 
has got all kinds of self-esteem problems. Really, I'm the one with the self-esteem problems because I'm the one who has to have the big parties. But if it's just, okay, what can we do to fix things up? It's, it's, it's the behavior that is the problem, not my wife. My wife's not the problem. The behavior, what's going on is the problem. That the issue is how can we, how can we sort things out? Yes, it's uncomfortable. They're both feeling bad that their wives don't want to look at our parties. But the one guy's making a party because he really enjoys, he has no self-esteem problems. He has no guy problems. It's it just what he likes is his nature. So then he won't feel so uh, offended by the wife's response. This is such an incredible self-check mechanism. You know, it's, and, and one thing you know for sure, if the thing keeps bugging you, you can assume it's not good. Just like any halacha, halacha, you, you know, shake a loaf. You shake a loaf, you're finished. Burn chametz, you're finished. You move on with life. You don't, you don't self-wallow in burnt chametz. How upsetting it was that the chametz was there. <laughs> but when the guy, he did the action, so, so what's the halacha? What do you do? Well, I'll do what the rabbi says, finish don't get so absorbed into the intentions and the cruelty and this and that and self-righteousness and all these other things. Then it's not a mirror. Then it's a God saying, this is the myths you have to do. So now what we're talking about speech, now we'll plug it into sight. When you hear that a Jew does an improper act, so what are you obliged to see? And this is the lens you have to train ourselves. You have to see what is the halachic imperative. Just say one thing. What do we need to do to correct the situation? Now, if we need to rebuke him and influence some positive course of conduct, that should be the primary dimension of what you, how do you see things? If we see things that are not being done properly, you say, so So, what does that mean? What does Hashem want me to do? That should be your response. You look at it through the lens of halacha. But when you hear about a colleague's unfavorable conduct and you don't see the halachic imperative relative, but instead you see the wickedness of the colleague, then what you're seeing is your own dirty face. Because he, he focuses, right, not on the obligation to correct, but on the fact that the colleague possesses evil and that's a sign that you have to evil. Because why would you look at it that way unless you're in that world? So why do you see politicians? It's a very good way of understanding which politician is more sincere. Liberals always, always every two years, and now it's not even every two years, it's every day, for some reason, Republicans are racist, sexist, homophobic. All they do is attack that they're evil people. That's the biggest riot not to vote for them. Because they have that evil. And you found this all the time. All the time. Hillary Clinton is the Ghanif. And said that Trump was the Ghanif. And it wasn't, what should we do about it? It's, no, he's terrible. Always the ones who are screaming, he's terrible. Every if you document everything that's happened in the last five, six years. It's exactly that. In the elections now, what are they calling all the Republicans? They're Trump supporters. They don't believe in democracy. While the Republicans are saying, listen, we have record inflation. That's a fact. Have you done anything about it? Oil. Gas, record price. Have you done anything about it? You got out of Afghanistan with bizyonis. Is anything should have been done better? You understand? There's a war in Ukraine. We're giving billions of dollars to the Ukrainians. But that's not a democracy either. Can you justify that, please? It's issues. If someone's talking issues, that's what you call crossing over the aisle and you want to work out a solution. But when it's all partisan, you're not interested in talking. That's the the best way of understanding. You know, and that, that's how you have to really get this.
and therefore, um, so and therefore, when we say Hashem, you know, didn't create anything without a purpose. So then, what do we see? This so when you see the evil, we have a, a twofold directive: the fact that Hashem has shown to you a quality in your colleague that must be corrected. Okay, that is a directive for us to get involved with it and improve it. That's the halachic requirement. And one second, and the fact that maybe he's been shown something that appears evil is directive that the evil exists within yourself and you have to correct yourself. Because if he were on a tzaddik's level, he wouldn't focus on the evil. As we said earlier, the tzaddik doesn't focus on the person's evilness. He focuses on the fact that what are we going to do to fix it up? And that's the tzaddik. So a tzaddik is not naive. A tzaddik knows that people do evil activities, but he knows they are not evil. Because a Jew inherently is not evil. So now, Jay's chomping at the bit now. We're shaming Yefes over here. So let's see what's going on over here. And let's go over the psukim, and you're going to see the psukim mamers sing beautifully. Just go right back to the beginning. Third verse. Vayar Chum. Chum sees. What did he see? What did he see? Ervas Aviv. The nakedness of his father. Okay. Now, the first two psukim didn't, weren't so overt. It just said, he drank the wine, and he was uncovered. It's vayis gal. He was uncovered. That's a pretty nice way of describing yeah. a guy who's naked. Yeah. But what did Chum see? It doesn't say he saw that his father was uncovered. He saw his nakedness. He saw the riches of his father. Maybe there was. But that's what he saw. And therefore, what is Chum? And Chum means, you know, hot-blooded. Well, we already know how he behaved on the ark as well. Yes, as well. He couldn't control himself. So he, he was he only one who had intimacy. So you see, he's into, he's into the sensual part of a human being. So it's Canaan. Oh, and then he's the father of Canaan. It's, it's all... So, but, so that is... Chum, don't you see your own problems? And that's why... Noah curses him and says, you're going to be a servant. Because if you are, have any position of power, you corrupt it. Servant does what he's told and doesn't analyze things. And that's the tikkun of such a person. Don't get so much in overanalysis. While the brothers, what did they do? It does, they didn't see, and then, wait, and then he tells his brothers. What do you got to tell them for? Why do you have to tell them? If, if, why do they need to know? I mean, it could be a warning, don't go in there. No, what would be more efficient? Cover him! Don't tell anybody about anything! Right. What did he gain by telling? You don't think he couldn't cover his father? He had to tell the two brothers, thereby diminishing his father's um, esteem in the children's eyes. So Ham is the one who's teaching us how not to look. So what did they do? Listen, watch carefully. They walked in backwards. They covered their father. Even though their bodies had to turn, they still were facing the other way. The last clause is not telling us they didn't physically see their father. What did it exactly say? They never saw the father's nakedness. They didn't look at the father as a naked is a very not nice word. And generally we would not use such a word when we publicly speak. I remember once I was giving a class on Adam Machava in, in another shul. And it was a very good class. And I used the English translation and they didn't realize they were naked. So the rabbi of the shul, very smart folk, you know, said it was a very good class. But I would suggest in the future, just say uncovered. As much younger, you know, unclothed. You get the same point. I was just doing the English. Yeah. But he said, you know, and especially it's a story. You know how people's minds start going when you hear naked. You know. Yeah. So, so, but, but that that's that's what's happening over here. 
So they understand, they understand that, no, we even, it doesn't mean they didn't physically see it. They didn't see their father as a naked man. They didn't look, they looked, what is it we have to do? Not how we're going to define our father. Come said, oh, he's naked. What a terrible guy he is. You know why? Because you're naked too. You can't control your lusts. And according to the Chazal, that said he castrated him. And you're telling us about your father's faults? Check your own backyard. Financial lust. Right? That's there. Well, the other ones, what do we got to do? It doesn't, it just says right away, what did they do? And they did it not only just because it's it's a their Herod's way, but they didn't look at their father as a naked person. He may have been uncovered. The Torah only said he was uncovered. Now the choice, how do we define being uncovered? Drunk and uncovered. So Chum says he's naked. Disgusting man. What kind of a father is this? Can this be a man I can respect? And therefore I don't have to listen to whatever my father tells me. You got your own problems. You're so lustful, you don't want someone to put you in your place. Well, they said, listen, it's not for us to judge our father. We have one thing. What do we do now? We got to cover him up. That's all. Maybe later we'll talk about it. Who knows? We got to cover him up. Okay. That's the, that's the point over here. So what's the, uh, the lesson is therefore when you hear or see an undesirable quality that another Jew possesses, don't talk about it and don't tell us. Now you see where Lush and Hara gets into the game here. And you shouldn't even think unfavorably about the colleague. You should hear, what can we do to fix up the situation? Try to judge it favorably. Right? And now you understand why they got the mitzvah. Shame got the mitzvah. As you, you got it, but now you got it much deeper now. What does it say? Don't go after Don't go after your heart and after your eyes. And we are told what? That the the eyes see and the heart covets. And what does the eye see? The eye sees what the heart covets. It's a, yeah. it's a circular thing. You really want something and therefore you see it in a certain way. And then you that want the coveting. But So therefore, the tzitzis, they covered up the father, meaning they used this garment in a way to show that they didn't look negatively against the father. It's a loss of sirach isn't just, oh, I, I looked at a dirty movie. You know, no, it's don't look at people the wrong way. And your heart may want to look at it the wrong way. The fact is we have a mitzvah of how to look at things. The mitzvah of tzitzis enables you, if you know what these tzitzis are all about, they give you a way of looking. It's the best corrective eye surgery in the world. Now, that's a whole other class. How it does that and why that does that, that's a whole other class. But that's what we're saying it is. Therefore, if you're worried about, and therefore the mitzvah came out of that ability, since mankind has the ability to look at a situation and see it favorably, so now that created the purpose of a mitzvah of tzitzis is that when you look at a situation, to go after your heart means to say you're going to define the person as the wicked person. And if you're going to do that, then you're going to obviously see things that are not appropriate about you. Because that's only revealing what's not good in you. While if you have the tzitzis and you believe in all the mitzvahs, that becomes a whole different story. So that's mamish. I, that's mamish so powerful. Okay, shkoyach everybody. I'm going to go to the afternoon.